few years ago, BYU alum Greg McEwen was giving a virtual keynote speech about his best-selling book, Essentialism. He offered to do a live coaching session for someone in the audience. When she came on camera, uh, she looked utterly exhausted. And I said to her, well, what's essential that you're underinvesting in? And she said, well, time for myself. And I said, okay, well, how long do you get for yourself? And she has six children. She has a business. She's an entrepreneur. And so she's running this business. And she said, and we could all tell it was not hyperbole. It wasn't exaggeration for effect. She said, I don't have 10 minutes for myself, literally in a whole day. And you could see the exhaustion. Even though he didn't know this woman, he recognized her because he'd met so many people like her. They're highly engaged. They want to make a contribution. They do make a difference, but they're on the very edge of burnout. Maybe it's not so obvious, but deep down, they are really struggling. McEwen knew the solution for this woman was not as simple as just taking things off her plate. Instead, he responded, What if there's a different way to do the things you've picked up? You've identified important things. Your family is important. Your business is important. The relationships are important. But what if there's a different way to go about it that isn't so hard all the time? And just like that, Greg McEwen knew it was time to write another book. Welcome to the Why Magazine podcast, bringing you ideas, stories, and voices from Brigham Young University. I'm Whitney Archibald, and a few years ago, everyone I knew, in real life and on social media, seemed to be shouting from the rooftops about the same book, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, by BYU alum Greg McEwen. And it wasn't just my friends who were reading it. It sold over a million copies and made it to the New York Times bestseller list. Honestly, I was somewhat reluctant to pick up a copy of my own, half expecting a typical, predictable book about productivity. Prioritize, optimize, organize, yada, yada, yada. Then I opened the book, and in just the first few pages, I figured out what all the fuss was about. This book was different. It wasn't trying to show me how to do it all. It was about, in Greg McEwen's words, doing less but better. I read and reread that now dog-eared and very scribbled-in copy of Essentialism, and then I read and scribbled through Greg McEwen's next bestseller, Effortless, Make It Easier to Do What Matters Most. This new book is what we're going to talk to Greg McEwen about in this episode. The basic premise is to help us figure out, once we've decided what's important, what's essential to us, how can we make it easy? How can we do things we care about without burning out? Here's how McEwen explains the relationship between his two books. Essentialism is about doing the right things, and effortless is about doing them in the right way. Essentialism is about focus, and effortless is about simplification. So they go hand in glove, but they address two different problems. If you're trying to do too many things, that's essentialism. But if you are exhausted, perhaps even despite having eliminated the non-essentials from your life, effortless is for you. Although McEwen will be the first to tell you that applying these principles to his own life is still a work in progress, the fact that McEwen ended up as a student at BYU at all is proof that he lives what he writes. After his mission to Toronto, Canada, McEwen returned to England. He got one semester into law school when he realized that was not what he really wanted to do. It felt like more of a default than something essential. So he transferred to BYU to pursue print journalism. 
There's more to that story and the path that led him to write Essentialism, of course. And you can read more about that in the profile about Greg McEwen in the spring 2022 issue of Y Magazine called The Essentialist by Denya Palmer. But it's very clear that continual learning is something that McEwen finds essential. After BYU, he received a Master's of Business Administration from Stanford's Graduate School of Business and is currently doing doctoral research at Cambridge University, writing books, delivering speeches, and podcasting all the while. His own podcast is simply called The Greg McEwen Podcast, and I'm a fan of that, too. As you can tell, I was already a pretty big fangirl by the time I got to have an actual conversation with McEwen. But, to my delight, he took some of the main ideas from the book Effortless and added a gospel perspective that made his book even more meaningful. He began our conversation by sharing a story about another woman he coached. So she's, you know, she's at four in the morning uh, photoshopping pictures. And she's like, what, what am I even doing? Why am I doing this? This is for a mutual activity the next day. And nobody is asking her to do that. But she's still doing it. Why is she doing it? That's the moment of reflection. What am I even doing? Why am I not asleep? Why am I not making a different choice? And and really, this was a pattern for her. She knew what was essential. She knew what mattered. Oh. But she would add to that, that this invisible mindset. And it was something like, if you're not utterly exhausted, you are not doing enough. If you are not burned out, Maybe you're not even really righteous. So if you hold that belief somewhere, if that's part of the mindset through which you evaluate your life, well, after all, you know, sacrifice brings forth the blessings of heaven. So, so you have this, this mindset that's influencing everything. What would you do? How would you behave? She told me, I felt guilty if I even ate lunch. Not if she took time separately to eat lunch, not do other things, but to even eat lunch, she felt guilty about. Yeah. So what did I do with her? So we did a little speed coaching session. I said, I said, look, you have to interrupt this mindset. You barely even know it's there, but we have to interrupt it. And one way to interrupt it is through asking a different question. And the question I want you to ask now is how can this be effortless? That's it. That highly simplifying question. It's not a question we normally ask. No. So then she gets a phone call from somebody. She works as a manager in an educational institution. It happens to be BYU, and that was the secret. <laughs> Nobody knows that. You're the first person. Nice. And so a professor calls her, and she's in charge of, among other things, the videography department. And he says, well, listen, I, I just need you to come and get your team to video my class for the whole semester. And she just goes into gear because she's like, I'm going to wow him. I mean, you know, this is what I'm great at. I can make stuff happen. And she then she remembers the coaching because she was going to do, well, let's get a whole team for four months, a whole semester. We will video it from multiple angles. We'll edit it together. We'll add intros, outros, music, slides. We'll make this thing amazing. And then she remembers this coaching. How can I make this effortless? And so as she pauses on that question, it makes her just ask a little more. Well, who's this for? What would be the easiest solution for this person? It turns out the whole request is for one student who's going to miss a few classes because of an athletic commitment. And so the solution they come up with is, well, why doesn't somebody just on their iPhone record those classes that he's going to miss, send them to him? Oh, the professor is delighted. He gets off the phone and she is just left there like, what just happened? <laughs> 
I save all of this added complexity and, and all for a 10 minute conversation and one single question. And that's really where I think I would encourage people to begin with effortless. Just ask a new question so that your brain, your Google brain can search for better answers so that, you know, your spiritual capacity can lead you to more inspired answers. You've got to ask a better question. And I think this is a better question. Absolutely. It made me think of so many different things, like even even throwing a birthday party for my son. I had all these ideas for him to choose from, and he was turning like 11. And he came to me and he was just like, Mom, could you please just not plan anything and let us choose what we want to do at this birthday party? And my my whole like next week just opened up and I <laughs> all of a sudden had this time because I hadn't even asked him what he wanted. And he just wanted a simple chance to hang out with his friends and not have interference from parents. They just wanted to do their own thing. And we, we do this. We overcomplicate things unnecessarily. So you remember that President Oates gave a talking conference in which he shared a marvelous story that's similar to what you just shared. He said there was a couple that were telling him about the way they'd spent this summer and they'd done these amazing trips and invested so much uh, and they wanted to make these great memories with their children and connections with their children, especially. And then when they asked at the end of the summer, OK, what was your favorite experience? Their son turned to them and said, well, you know, Dad, the thing I loved the most was when we lay down in the backyard on the grass under the stars and talked. Oh. And it's an illustration of the, this, this overcomplicating overexerting way of being well-intended that can often suffocate the simple solutions that were there all along, but we missed because we were striving for more than is required. We miss the mark. Yeah, well, that's what I appreciated most about both books, actually, Essentialism and Effortless. It's more of a culture shift. I mean, you have to learn the principles, but you just have to internalize it and change your personal culture and then expand that out to your family culture, maybe even your church culture or your community. Because we—well, here's an example. My son the other day was talking about how busy he was in high school and how he needed me to take on certain things for him and— he wanted to kind of get into a competition of busier. Like he, he wanted to prove that he was busier than mm -hmm. I was. And I almost bought into it. I was like, well, here's what I did today. This and this and this and this. I'm busy too. And I had to pull myself back and say, wait a minute. This is the wrong thing to be competing in. We do not want to compete to see who's the busiest. We should compete to figure out who can be better at, at simplifying, mm. well, essentializing, I should say, <laughs> rather than buying into this competitive busyness culture. Yeah, I mean, I think that you, you put your finger on it to say that it's about culture. And I think that that culture does begin with mindset. Mm -hmm. so, so within Effortless, for example, one of the mindset shifts I think people need to go through is the idea that easy does not equal lazy. Yes. I still think that we have this Puritan idea, not just that working is a virtue, but that something being effortless or easy is a vice. And I personally find very little, if any, doctrinal or scriptural support for that position. 
Easy is not lazy. But for example, do you remember that scene, that moment where Moses holds up the staff and it's got the serpents and they're going to be healed? And why don't they look? It's described explicitly and breathtakingly because of the easiness of the way. It's not because it was too hard. It was because it was too easy. And they believed that they couldn't be an effortless solution. And you think about when I was growing up anyway, I remember being shown this card, a picture of Jesus. And underneath it, it said, I never said it would be easy. I just said it would be worth it. And that was shared more than once with me. And what's amazing in my adulthood is to look at that and say, well, first of all, he didn't say that. So that's not a quote. It's being stated <laughs> like it's a quote. Right. We don't have that quote. That's not in the scriptures anywhere. It's not in the scriptures. But what is in the scriptures is that he said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So exactly the opposite of what they said, he said, he actually said. <laughs> yes. And I felt a little on the edge when I was teaching this for a while. And then President Nelson gave an entire Uh, you know, talk explicitly on the subject, giving at least some coverage and permission for us to challenge these outdated, not part of the restoration ideas that we still carry with us. Yeah, again, cultural. Cultural, yes. And I think that the impact of this is tremendous. We've talked about the cost to the self when you are burned out and you're in a bad state all the time and that affects your relationships because of course you are irritated by every interruption and you you know my daughter asks me to braid her hair and you know I, that's a, that's a bother to me and then somebody emails me a concern that they have and I take that personally uh, and then and there's nothing works and then you contrast that to when you get into an effortless state right you've you've had a, a good night's sleep you've had a hot shower a warm meal And suddenly in an effortless state, I can respond something like with charity to my daughter who needs something from me. And I can respond something like with charity to the email that I received because I can see it and understand it in context now. And and suddenly just everything in my life is, again, the word, it's easier because I'm in that state, because I have protected the asset that is me, that is you and It's like the whole description of what charity is seems to me to be a description of someone who is well-rested, someone who has the additional spiritual capacities from God that help them to do what they otherwise can't. Uh, And and I think that this this is an aspiration the Lord wants. And what an irony it would be if the way in which we miss the mark is that We try to be Christians without Christ. That is, we try to force our way to a certain false sense of perfection instead of giving ourselves to him and letting his perfection save us, help us, guide us, walk us through this life in, again, the word, in a more effortless way. Well, I really like that. As you were talking, I kept thinking about how We often fill our schedule and we feel like we have to be crowded to be charitable. We have to schedule our service. We have to load everything up instead of 
what will really allow us to be charitable, which is making room, making room in our lives to respond to revelation, to notice that your daughter needs your help right now. Mm-hmm. If we don't have any room, if everything is scheduled minute by minute, we're going to miss those opportunities and we're not going to have time for it. Yes, I I think this comes back to the person I was mentioning at the beginning, someone who doesn't have 10 minutes for themselves, somebody who doesn't have 10 minutes to pray or to read the scriptures. This is not selfishness we're talking about. We have been commanded to create this space. And not once, but like infinitum, uh, we have been counseled and pleaded with to do those things necessary to be able to both recognize and obey revelation. We are to grow into the principle of revelation. And when you think about Jesus and how he created space to think and space to sometimes be alone and space to pray, what his focus seems to be, and literally again and again, as we've been doing Come Follow Me, it's explicitly stated, his father's will. So he doesn't seem to feel Well, he probably feels the pressure, but he doesn't give in to the pressure to try to do everything popular now. Instead, he's trying to do the Lord's will in the Lord's way at the Lord's time. I'm thinking now, I served as a bishop for a while. Somebody came to see me. I'd never met her before. And she was very enthusiastic. And she announced really that she was ready to take two or three callings like just put me to work let's go and so in one sense it's like bishop's dream this is what you want people are ready let's go but something in the back of my mind was like well you just need to pause let's listen let's understand what's really going on and i said well just tell me your story and what came out of that counseling together was that she went in a cyclical pattern Every few years, she would be incredibly enthusiastic, take on the calling, show up, give everything, and then would burn herself out, and she would just disappear for years. And then she would come through, and I just happened to be there when she was suddenly turning up, ready for the multi-calling strategy. And I just said, well, what if we just skip the cycle this time, right? What, What if we just find a different way to do this, a different way to be. Right. And and I think part of what the Lord is trying to teach us, especially in a time of extremes, where we have an exponential increase of optionality all the time, and with it an increased expectation that we just buy into without even noticing it, and soon without meaning to, we're like living in that great and spacious building of exhaustion and busyness where we're trying to pursue the things that don't matter or we're trying to add in details that don't matter and we're overcomplicating and everything. And and we're just miles away from the fruit that actually brings us joy, which, you know, one can just contrast for a moment is something like a garden. You know, it's a tree, it's fruit and people are eating together and they're happy together. And there's something about what that ideal is. It has not a lot to do with the kind of running around and craziness of our modern life. Well, and I think we have a tendency to think of that garden as a future destination instead of something that can be a part of our present. Um, 
One of the things that I love most about the book Effortless is you're so good about giving us practical ways to make our life more effortless, to make the things that matter more effortless. So I'd love to talk about a concrete example that we can make effortless. My son in particular is having trouble keeping his room clean, as many teenage boys are. He will let it get messy, and then it's this monumental project every weekend that he has to tackle. How could he and many of us who who have projects similar to this, maybe it is also our rooms, go about making this effortless? Well, I'm dealing with exactly the same situation. I have four teenagers, and so, you know, this is, <laughs> this is normal, right? It's, um, and um, let's talk about the exhausting way first. Let's talk about the way that doesn't right. work. I've done it myself. I was so frustrated with one of my children repeatedly not tidying up, even the basics, you know, just there is rubbish on the floor. (laughs) Yes. So the way to exhaust oneself and still not get the result is just to yell about it. My goodness, I can't believe it. Look at this, and it's just crazy. And Oh, well, if you talk like that, we, I can, what, 95% probability that your teenager will talk that way right back to you, you know, that you will get just exactly that sort of way of being with them back. So that's not going to go well. That will escalate. And maybe you're just completely distracted from the objective anyway. And so this can go on. It could go on for half an hour. It could blow up. And then the same thing is repeated next time as well. And so if you add up all of those ways of doing it over the years, this is an enormous amount of time, emotional energy, and the job still doesn't get done. Yes. (laughs) So this is the exhausting picture. Do I exaggerate? Not at all. Not at all. Not only does it not get done, but you've just damaged your relationship in the process. So that's what we don't want. Right. So... Let's talk about some of the effortless strategies. So one of them is to create a high trust agreement. And so this is something I go through in the chapter on trust in effortless. It's a very simple process, actually, but you do it in writing. You sit down and you actually say, okay, well, what's the objective here? What's the goal? What, What does done look like? As adults, we sometimes think that's so obvious. <laughs> right. And actually, we haven't taught in precision what we mean. And so the fact there's rubbish on the floor is outrageous to me. But have I explicitly, clearly written up what the expectation is? So that's the first thing. Like, what is the desired result? And how would we know when we were done? Okay, so that's the first thing. Now, that takes a little more effort at the beginning, but what you want is a system that gives you the results you want again and again and again without massive strain and trauma down the road. Right, and then that's a step you don't have to repeat. You're, then you're finished. Yes, and, and, the, and the agreement has a few parts to it. So among those things, you might say, okay, when does it have to be done by? You know, otherwise, the when, the default when, is exactly now because I walked into your room and I can't stand how it looks. And so now is the time. And, of course, that feels highest level of control. And I get a lot more pushback in these situations because I am violating something. I'm violating a sense of agency because I'm saying it has to be done right now because I'm aware of it in this moment. 
And so there's something violating in, in, in agency. And so to come to an agreement, okay, well, let's say maybe it's once a week by, by, by Saturday morning before you have gone to this sport activity or before you've done this. What I just assigned to, to one of my children, it was, it was every morning by 9.30. That was, that was the understanding. She chose that. She offered that. And I thought, my goodness, that's so much better than me just sort of fussing about this whenever I happen to remember it. Okay, so so other things you can build into that might include, okay, well, how can we make it fun? First, you don't think it can be fun, but then you go, well, what if you could, what are the things that are fun to do in and of themselves that you would do even if someone didn't ask you to do it, like listening to music? Okay, so that you, you would do that regardless. And is there a way to build that into this chore so that you can turn a chore into a ritual right the difference between a chore and a ritual is just how it's done you can have Mm -hmm. joy in the journey not just after the journey it's another strategy from the book you say okay look we're going to do a timer a microburst you set a timer at the end of 10 minutes we are done we're going to do it every day and whatever the room is like we're done at 10 minutes and so you set the timer and you're done. Otherwise, that feeling as a child, as a teenager, and you're like, as soon as I start, this is going to be hours, and I don't know when it ends. And again, there's no agency involved. And so I just feel really out of control because, in fact, I am out of control because someone else is in control of my life now. And so these are a few of the strategies that I think could be combined together that at least in my life, today I just mentioned it in following up the daughter in question. And I said, oh, remember, just do the 10 minutes at a time and put the music on. She said, yeah, yeah, I was thinking about doing that. And she did it today. And I thought, like, this is so much better than the alternative. Well, yes, I like that. It actually reminds me of example. So good. Waking my children up in the morning can sometimes be difficult, depending on the child. So about three years ago, I decided that instead of, like, shaking them or, you know, nobody wants to be awakened with either shouting or shaking or anything like that. Um, so I decided that instead of, instead of doing something like that, I would snuggle them yeah. in the morning to wake them up. And so I'd climb into bed with them and yes. do a gentle wake-up. Like, and also get this nice snuggly moment with my children. Um, and so it became something we all looked forward to instead of like, get up, get up, move it, move it out. You know, like it's more intense, awful experience. <laughs> I love that. I love that example. It's a great illustration of taking like an exhausting chore yeah. that hurts relationships into something that is a, a ritual that is actually more enjoyable for you and for them. And, and even if for you, it's not like that every day. And some days there's more pressure and it's just get up, come on. Uh, even if it's half the time, now you have that many more positive experiences. For, for me, something that I did, and, and this is, I don't know, it is a ritual for sure, but it's, it's the crown jewel of uh, family rituals. I chose a career inadvertently that includes travel in it. And I do lots of things to limit the amount of travel. I'm very, very selective about the work I take on. Uh, I, I go on the last flight out, the first flight back. I mean, there's a lot of things to try and minimize that footprint. But still, it's embedded part of it. And so, you know, more than a decade ago, we decided that not every time, but 80% of the time, a child would come with me. And this was such 
a winning thing. And so what it means is that it took the thing that was most family unfriendly and it made it one of the most family-friendly things of our lives. Oh, yes. I thought it would be good for my children to have the exposure and to travel and to see things, and that's true. But what I didn't realize is how much better it would make the experience for me. Yeah. That really, I experienced so much more and go to more museums, and instead of just being in the hotel and so on, it's, it's an enjoyable ritual for me too. And now as our children are sort of just at that point where they're leaving home now, I mean, it's electric, it's, it's, it's meaningful. The majority of my one-on-one -on -one time has been spent there because we've spent lots of time together in the same home, a lot of time. But one-on-one -on -one time is much harder, as you know, to come by. Absolutely. So this has been a precious, a very precious ritual for us. Oh, I'm so glad. I, that's a great example to end on. And it's so much fun to read your book that's for a general audience and then to be able to interview you and mm -hmm. talk about the gospel perspective. No, it's really a pleasure. I, I wish and look forward to a day somewhere in the long-term future where we can talk about all principles, all practices from a celestial perspective. And it's just a joy for me to be able to renew my understanding of these terrestrial books and articles and podcasts and so on within that eternal perspective. It's a, it's a joy for me. So thank you, Whitney. Thank you for listening to the Y Magazine podcast. The two conference talks Greg McEwen referenced are Good, Better, Best by Dallin H. Oaks from the October 2007 General Conference and Overcome the World and Find Rest by President Russell M. Nelson from the October 2022 General Conference. You can find links to these talks in the show notes, plus a link to gregmcewen.com where you can learn more about Greg McEwen's books and tune into his podcast. This episode was based on the article The Essentialist in the Spring 2022 issue of Y Magazine by Denya Palmer and written and produced by me, Whitney Archibald, executive producer Denya Palmer, mixing and mastering by Jarrett Davis.